I'm Logan Wolf in Provo, Utah, and this is episode three of Everything I Did Wrong as a Church Planter, a million-part series. My wife, Grayson, and I moved to Provo nearly 12 years ago as church planters, and during that time, our ministry has taken many forms. We started as a mobile church meeting in the conference center of a Best Western. Uh, We became multi-site with campuses, buildings, staff in two different counties. And now we are a network of house churches across the state of Utah. In this podcast, I'm talking back through all of those experiences in order to share with you what I would do differently if I were pursuing those same courses of action Uh, that same methodology, as well as what I would do differently if I was starting from scratch, knowing what I know now, having the experiences that I have had. And my hope in doing so is that I can save you some of the many, many missteps that I have made, some of the frustration and the heartache and the tears that I have endured, as well as just your time and your energy and your money as you're laboring or are preparing to labor in your city. So I have been these last couple episodes re-examining that season of life, that season of ministry prior to our moving to Utah and what we're, uh, what we were doing, I guess, before we took on that title of church planters. So in episode two, I shared another what I believe was a foundational mistake that I made from the very outset. And that is, I did not know how to make a disciple. Uh, Certainly people were coming to Jesus. They're repenting. They're, they're, they're being saved as I'm preaching and my preaching ministry there in North Carolina. But there was no one I could point to that I had led to Jesus in a one-on-one type setting, someone I sat down with and shared the gospel with. And there was certainly no one that I was walking alongside of, helping them to grow and mature uh, in their faith uh, in in a discipleship type relationship. And so, um, surprise, when I moved to Utah as a church planter, I did not magically uh, start doing those things. I did not uh, immediately begin to Um, make disciples and share the gospel in a personal way. So uh, go make disciples and then let's start talking about church planting or planting churches. Today in this episode, I'm going to continue exploring that season before we arrived in Utah. And I want to share a mistake that I made largely out of ignorance. Um, and you know what? Well, that's probably most mistakes, right? If we knew, if you knew better, you wouldn't make the mistake. But this was this was ignorance, maybe connected to my age. I was 23 or about that when I made this decision. Uh, partly because of my lack of experience, my ministry experience was just a, a couple years as an associate pastor. I had again, I wasn't making disciples. I had not planted a church, and so I did not have that experience. And then partly it's just because of the circles that I grew up in. Um, and I know that's not an excuse, but it does factor in to some of the things that we do and think. And so the circles that I grew up in kind of limited um, what I saw as some of my options. 
And, and so here's the, here's the mistake that I made. Here's what I'm getting at. I did not explore the various church planting organizations around me. I did not explore various church planting organizations. Now, I know now that there are a lot of people, a lot of organizations, a lot of ministries, cohorts, and so on that you can partner with, that they can come alongside of you, support you, send you out uh, when it comes to church planting. At the time, again, this is this is before we have arrived in Utah. So we're talking uh, 14, maybe even 15 years ago. I didn't know any of that. Um, so here's here's my story with it. The denomination that I grew up in has a church planting wing for domestic ministry, um, as well as a missionary wing for international ministry. So the denomination, and I think this is true of, a, of several denominations, a lot of denominations, the denomination has a means by which to send out individuals and teams who will start churches for that denomination, of that denominational flavor. So that's that was true in my, my case. Um, now, that was the only option I was aware of. Like And again, in the circles I grew up in, no one ever mentioned or talked about any other options. When I started talking about church planting and, hey, God's calling me to Utah. Yep, we're preparing to go to Utah. I'm, I'm raising money to move to Utah. We're going. We're going to Utah. No one ever asked me, hey, had you talked to so-and-so or have you looked into so-and-so's stuff or have you considered this organization or this ministry? Nothing like that. Like it was assumed in my mind and I think in the minds, well, I know in the minds of those around me that we're going to go through this denominational type route. Nothing else was ever discussed. Prior to enrolling in Bible college, I knew I was coming to Utah. Uh, I mean, I have been planning to be in Utah. So I've been here, I've been here 12 years now, uh, but I've been planning to be here since I was 16. Uh, it has been a long time coming. And I'm not going to rehash uh, all of that story or recount any of that, but I, but I will tell you this. One of my favorite conversations in which I do um, talk through all that and how God brought me and Grayson out to Utah is on the beautiful and believable podcast with Drew Dodson. And he and I, I mean, he and I had this conversation. It was, I think it's season two, episode three. And I mean, he's a great guy. I met him down at the microchurch conference in Florida, and he has a, a wonderful voice. You're going to enjoy listening to him if you jump over there uh, to his podcast. But anyway, uh, I'm not going to talk through that story here. While I was still in high school, though, I did reach out to this denominational church planting organization, and I asked them, what do I need to do in preparation? Now, I don't, I don't know if anyone as young as I was at the time had ever reached out and asked them that or what, but they did give me two things that I needed to do. Um, the first, they did encourage me, go on to Bible college and graduate. Go ahead and get your degree. Um, I'm going to pause it. This is probably a conversation we'll come to in later episodes. I would hindsight, I would discourage that. I don't think that was a necessity. Um, and then second, they said, uh, serve at least two years with a church plant. And 
again, we'll talk about this down the, down the road in a later episode. I think there's what that looks like in our context now is a little different, but I definitely encourage being involved in the ministry before you go and take one on yourself. That's why I said I hadn't made disciples and here I'm going to go start a church. And so, uh, I agree. I agree with that, that bit of a instruction that they gave us. And you may remember, I think it was from episode one or even, even episode two, I talked about how the church that I grew up in was in fact a church plant and that me and my family, as we began to attend um, regularly, we got in on the very front end of that. Not, not at the start, not the first service, but we got in on the front end of that. And so I was already part of a church plant, was seeing that and then had opportunity. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. I will have a chance here to step into some, some more formal experience um, like they're talking about here, like they're asking me to have. So that with that in mind, I remember uh, coming out of probably coming out of college or right before I was either engaged or I was either engaged or we had just gotten married, but it was, um, I know we're coming to Utah and I remember going to a statewide meeting, like an association type meeting with my pastor, uh, from our church there in Wilmington with my, either my fiance, Grayson, we were either weren't married yet, or we had just gotten married. My wife, um, and we're at this statewide association meeting and a representative from the international wing, uh, that missionary sending wing of the denomination was there. And he was speaking and he was trying to communicate or bring some clarity, like a Q, it was a Q&A. He was on stage. There was a couple other people. Um, and he was answering questions about some of the changes they were making to their policies, their fundraising policies. And if I recall correctly, um, let me stop here. I am, I'm, I'm recounting this. This meeting happened 15 or so years ago. So if I'm off base, I'm, it's not intentional. I'm not trying to rewrite history. I'm telling you what I recall as I look back on this. So they're trying they're, they, the, the changes they were making through their policy is they are wanting to do away with designated fundraising and instead collect all monies into a single pot and disperse them to all the international missionaries as needed. So basically, I'm going to support international missions through my denomination. I will send it to the international missions organization, and they've got X amount of missionaries on the field across the world. And obviously a bunch of different contexts, bunch of different settings, bunch of different cultures, they will as needed disperse those funds so that everyone is taken care of. Okay. That's what they were proposing. That's what I, that's what I recall happening. Um, I also recall that it upset like a ton of people, um, at least in my circles. And again, I think in episode one here, I talked about how you have like this overarching denominational umbrella, but how that plays out differs region to region. Um, and even obviously within churches. And so the, the region that I grew up in, um, the churches that I grew up around, were all upset about this. Uh, and that's all I'm seeing. And so I didn't, I mean, there was no social media or anything. I didn't have, you know, that came, that came later. So they, if other parts of the country, other parts, other regions were on board, like gun ho, I was unaware of it. I just thought everyone's angry about this. That's all there is. And so people were up in arms, a lot of, lot of angry people. And I didn't understand it all then. And then like, even as I'm talking about it now, um, I mean, I'm surprised, I mean, I'm surprised that it was such a divisive issue 
um, for people. And I recall, I recall watching this meeting play out and people were being divisive, I think in their behavior. Um, and I think in a, in a sinful way, and I don't know the motives or the intentions of the hearts of anyone on the, the organization, the missionary organization that was making those changes. I have no idea. But from what I was watching play out in that meeting to so those that were opposed to that decision, um, I mean, it was, I don't know. I, here I am as a, as a young believer sitting here watching this and I'm kind of like baffled by what's happening. I can't imagine what an unbeliever would say as he saw so-called Christian, oh, it was all pastors, so-called pastors standing up and shouting and raising their voices at each other and drawing lines in the sand and all this kind of stuff. I don't think, I think it was, I think it was a sinful um, display. I don't think God was honored uh, in that at all. People were being, were being divisive. And so let me, let me, let me say this. Some, someone this week, so I'm, I'm, that was a 15 plus years ago. I want to jump to something that happened just a few days ago. I was at a meeting um, with some other Christian leaders across the state, guys from outside of my network, but we were trying to pull some guys together and um, just kind of dream. What does it look like to start working in in conjunction with each other? The shared vision. What's it look like to uh, um, bring churches together for in a, in a limited c- commitment type way, but for the purpose of of expanding the kingdom. And anyway, it was a great conversation. It was a great meeting, but we had, there was a guy there, the guy that was leading it and he was sharing some reflection. And I think from first Corinthians, uh, 13, 13. So there where you have Paul talking about faith and hope and love and how he, Paul says how love is the greatest of the three, right? So there will come a day in eternity when our faith is realized, you know, think about how Hebrews defines faith, the evidence of things um, hoped for, the things unseen. So there'll come a day when these things unseen are seen. And then there'll come a day, likewise, in eternity, where our hope will be realized, where Jesus fulfills his promise and he, he comes back, he returns for us. And so it's not like this expectation anymore. It's just a realization that's happened. So faith and hope will be actualized. They will be realized. All right. And we won't need faith anymore. I'm seeing it. I won't need hope anymore. He's here. Uh, But there will always be love. Like there will all, we will always experience God's love and we will be in that love. And then we'll be in this love with each other. And he calls us to love. Now there will always be love. And I think we'd all say, and this is what this brother was saying. Faith and hope are really important. Like those are big deals. Those are, those are huge deals. And yet one day they won't be right. One day, one day we'll be with Jesus and those, we won't need faith anymore. We won't need hope. It'll be actualized. And so this, here's this brother's point. Are the issues over which I'm separating from other brothers and sisters, are they really greater are they really more important than faith or hope? <laughs> I don't know. That's man. That was uh, that was convicting and challenging to me. Is what I'm separate? Do I really think the issues that I'm, the hills that I'm dying on, are they more important than faith? Are they more important than than hope? Which at one day, even those things will will be actualized and won't matter.
All right, so that's, that was an aside. There's this local church in the state of North Carolina. So where I'm from, where this state association meeting was happening. And there's a pastor at this meeting and he's getting heated and he's drawing lines in the sand. And in the aftermath of that meeting, he decides to start his own sending agency through his local church that will not only send international missionaries, but will also send domestic church planters. And so he circumvented his need to to reconcile with um, these brothers he's disagreeing with, to learn to work alongside these these brothers he's disagreeing with. He's basically saying, I don't need you at, at all, right? And so in as this is playing out, I want you to understand this is this is a, a a circle that I grew up in, and now this guy and the way he's handling some conflict and some disagreement is creating another circle, and it's much smaller. It's much much smaller. And in hindsight, I mean, I'm looking back on this. How healthy? How truly healthy is something born out of division? instead of multiplication, right? I mean, that's how we're all, we're born out of multiplication. Two people come together. We have a new person. Uh, We talk about disciple making and and church planting. We talk about church multiplication or disciple multiplication. And it's, it's, man, it's, it's this, this growth is, we don't divide this up. We don't cut this apart and, and maim it in some way. How, how truly healthy is something born out of division? Now I tell you this story. Because after my two years on staff at that church where I grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina, I was, again, I was the associate pastor. I was the youth pastor. Um, We reached back out to the denominational church planting organization and told them, hey, I've graduated Bible college. I've been working at this church plant for two years. We've got this experience. We're like, what's next? Like, we're ready to go to Utah. What? Just tell us what we got to do to go. Um, and they backpedaled like crazy and went back on pretty much everything they told us and then said that they were no longer able to send us to Utah. Now, because this, like, this wasn't our first conversation, like we had talked years ago and we had, I touched base with them while I was in college. Like, this wasn't our first conversation about going to Utah. It was it really felt like a smack in the face. Um, like what? I was angry and I, I was confused and I was like, what, what is happening here? I was upset. Um, and, and so I, I didn't understand what, what, it, what was going on here. Now it may, they said some things that made it seem like it was related to our age. Again, by the time I moved to Utah, um, I was 25. And so this is, I mean, this is early twenties that may have played. I don't know. That may have been part of it. I don't know what was going on internally in that organization. There may have been some things there that they were working out and there. I, I, I have no clue. Like I, I don't, can't even guess at what it was, but they just went, I did. All I know is they went from saying, yes, we're going to send you to Utah to no, we're not going to send you to Utah. And what seemed to me, and, and certainly may have been like God intervening in the situation, was that the same day that organization told me no, another one called and told me yes. And they asked, in fact, they asked, I mean, unsolicited. They said, hey, I want you guys 
you and Grayson to consider going to Utah under us? Like, could we send you? Could we be your sending agency? And that organization was the one started by that pastor and his local church out of division for the denomination that I just mentioned. Is it <laughs> is it confusing that I'm I'm not using the names of people and organizations? I don't. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm telling the story. I'm trying to like keep in my mind who's who here. Um, I am seriously not trying to throw anyone under the bus. Uh, I'm telling you my story and my experience. <coughs> Excuse me. And my story, my experience, obviously includes uh, these other people. I mean, they're they're a part of it, and so I don't want anyone to. I don't want anyone to, I'm not trying to make anyone look like a jerk or anything like that. Although I guess if you don't want people to think you're a jerk, you shouldn't act like a jerk, right? So I don't know. Um, Anyway, to go back to this, I agreed. I said, yes, 23 years old or so when I said that, yes, we will go. So the missions director of this new organization, uh, he was one of three that I worked with over the course of 10 years. Uh, or, well, that's not true, even more, because we were with him a couple of years as we were raising funds. So um, maybe uh, almost 12 years. One of the three that I worked with, and he had never been a missionary, and he had never planted a church. The guy that replaced him uh, had also never been a missionary, never planted a church. Um, I, I was about to say, if... if if you're going to if you're going to run a missions organization or a sending agency, it, it needs to be more than theory. I think for those running it, uh, I think it'd be helpful to have that experience. But I was but the third guy, the guy that that replaced him, uh, was in fact an international missionary. He had missionary experience, and I think he was even doing that while serving in that role. And he was actually the least communicative and the least helpful of all three. So I don't know. That's probably, there's, that's probably more an issue with the actual organization and not so much with these guys that were put in that position to lead it. Um, but anyway, I, I, like I talked about in the previous two episodes, no one, none of those guys ever, this pastor of this church, as they're bringing me on, no one ever asked me what my definition of church was. Uh, no one asked me if I had made any disciples what we talked a lot about during my orientation, what made up this chunk of the handbook they had given me and Grayson was the requirements around dress and behavior. My, you know, for example, uh, my wife couldn't wear pants. Uh, I had to wear a tie. We couldn't go to the movies and so on. Uh, I mean, just as a confession, I did not listen to hardly any of that. And so I will say this. I think another mistake that I made kind of falls into this category if if you can't adhere to the requirements or standards of the organization that you're partnering with, um, then you just don't need to partner with them. And that honestly, right there, that probably should have been a red flag for me. Like, I don't need to partner with you. Uh, my wife can, you know, my wife wore pants. We went to the movies. I actually did wear a tie most Sundays that those first few years, but um, I mean, we, anyway, if you can't, if you can't abide by it, there's, I mean, you're just setting up a relationship on, on distrust and and some hypocrisy. So I I would say, don't, don't, uh, don't sign on if you can't abide by what they're asking you to do. So anyway, they get, we go through all this, um, requirements on how we're supposed to act and behave and whatnot. And I remember a couple families from that church, um, came out to visit us early on while we're still in the conference center. And they took us to some outlet stores in Park City, like an hour north of Provo. 
and they bought me a an outfit. They bought me a pair of khakis. They bought me a button down shirt. They bought me a sweater to go over it. I mean, a full outfit. Uh, and at that, I mean, such at, at that point in our marriage and our life, like that was an outfit that I could never, I would not have bought myself ever because I just couldn't afford all those pieces at one time. And so I was very grateful, very thankful. They did not buy a tie to go with it. And I did not have a tie that matched uh, what they bought me. But I thought since they were going to be here for a Sunday and this was such a big deal and I was so thankful, I would wear this outfit to the service. Um, and so I did, I wore it to the service. In fact, if you, uh, if you watched episode one of this podcast on our YouTube channel, I shared a picture of our setup in the conference center, the outfit that I'm wearing in that picture, that is the outfit they bought me. Those are the people in the, those are the ones that bought me that outfit. They're in that picture. Um, so anyway, I wore this outfit and I, some, I mean, I'm the one preaching in that picture. So someone else must've snapped that picture. I don't know if I shared it or if I pulled it off one of their, you know, Facebook pages or something later on. Um, I don't know where that picture came from, but I shared that picture. Someone shared that picture. And the very next day, the Monday, I got a call again from the, my non-church planting, non-missionary missions director. And he asked me why I wasn't wearing a tie at church. And if that is the direction that I was taking my ministry and to be, I mean, we had been barely up and operating, you know, but for a couple of months, like, is this the direction you're going? We just got started. Now there's this, ten- <laughs> so stupid. There's this tension in my heart. Um, like when I tell that story, even as I'm telling it now, like I've recounted that before for people, but I do want to tell it now because on the one hand, this organization helped me get to Utah when the path that I thought I was going to take, the path that I had every intention of taking became blocked. Like they stepped in and did something. And I'm very grateful for them and for the, for those, their willingness to take me and my wife on again, especially since no one was asking me if we'd ever made any disciples or if we knew what we were doing like this un you know, very green un untried and we're sent out here. So I am so thankful for them. On the other hand, I, I actually feel somewhat used, uh, like this pawn in denominational politics. Like I was the first church planter that that local church organization sent out. And I feel like my being part of that kind of just lent itself to the legitimacy of something that I should, it wasn't legitimate, you know? And so I do feel a little bit used in that. And again, hindsight with all this, knowing what I know now, uh, the experience I have now, if I had had it then, I I don't think I would have partnered with that organization. I don't know what a, a well, I have some ideas of what I would have done, um, but I don't think I would have partnered with that organization. I, I'm looking at the, the time here. We're going to break this conversation up because I've, I'm just scratching the surface of my relationship with our, our first sending agency. I've been part of two sending agencies. I've not even gotten to the second one yet. I've not even touched on what this has looked like practically yet. Um, so I'm going to stop here. Let me suggest one thing though. I wish I had done before signing on with anyone. I wish I'd explored all my options. Like I, I wish I'd, I wish I'd known that there was other options for me and what that looked like. I, I just didn't know. I mean, I was, again, I was ignorant to it. Um, so if you think 
you know, you're, you're in the early stages of church plans. I want to be a church planter. I'm going to go, you know, I want to go over here. I want to go this place. Uh, and you don't know who you're going to partner with yet or how you're going to get there. Or you maybe you have an idea. I think I'm going to partner with this organization. I want to partner with this group. Um, that's great. But I didn't, I'd encourage you to pause a moment, stop, like stop a second and just explore all your options. Who else is out there? And, uh, are, is there anyone who might be better aligned with the vision God has given me? It might be a stronger, more meaningful partnership than, than this particular one. Uh, and maybe a good baseline for those conversations or as you're looking through their material is just what I asked in episode one. Uh, what is your definition of church? What is your definition of church? What does that look like? And begin to compare that. I hope this helps you. If it has, please subscribe to the podcast. Please leave us a rating. I would also ask that you pass this along, share it on your social media outlets, pass it along to your church planting friends, teammates, colleagues, um, whether they're on the field or they're just preparing to go. Uh, My name is Logan Wolf, and this is Everything I Did Wrong as a Church Planter, a million-part series.